It's my privilege to be able to be here and share God's word with you this morning on this Palm Sunday. And I would like to invite you to get out your Bible at this time, whether it's paper or digital or maybe one under your seat or the seat in front of you. And uh, online, go ahead and get it out as well. And uh, let me see them. Go ahead and raise them up in the air. If you got your Bible. Awesome to say I got my Bible, PK. I almost missed that part. <laughs> Amen. I'm so glad that you do. Um, I would invite you this morning to open to the book of Luke chapter 19. We're going to spend some a good portion of our time in that passage today. And uh, But first, I'm wondering here, who has ever been to a parade? Raise your hand. Been to a parade. I think the vast majority. Okay, who has ever been in a parade? Oh, almost the same amount. Okay, that's impressive. That's impressive. I assumed kind of going into this that most everyone here, if not everyone here, has either attended or been in a parade or both. Um, if you've watched a parade, you, I'm sure, have been an active participant at one point, maybe when you were a kid or maybe as an adult, and you smile as the, as the floats pass by, you wave, you might even shout out at someone that you know, you might dive over people for that cheap candy, Tootsie Roll anyone? <laughs> if you've been in a parade, you've likely smiled and waved, shouted and held up banners, maybe even performed before. I've always enjoyed personally being in a parade more than attending a parade. I don't know what it is. I just like the thrill of being in it and being around people. I remember when I was younger, I'd march in my marching band. I would perform in the color guard. Um, I remember when we had Jillian and she was a newborn and we were in a Christmas parade and I was Mary and she played baby Jesus and we got to wave and bring the hope of the good news of Jesus being born to people at the parade. I love riding and Santa's sleigh here at Oak Ridge and the Largo Christmas Parade and waving and shouting Merry Christmas to people that we pass by. I think both attending and being in a parade can be loads of fun, right? Uh, the, those that are in get to show off a little bit and be able to um, engage with people that come out and celebrate with them. And then the audience gets a chance to reciprocate that joy and that celebration. Um, this is kind of what's expected. You go, you celebrate, you respond, you participate. It's a celebration. Maybe it's too much of a celebration for those of us that maybe like to avoid crowds. But logistically, I think we can all agree that a parade is something to look forward to. It's fun. It's a joyful time. It's a celebration event. Well, today we're going to take a trip back in time to a different kind of parade, to what is known as Jesus's triumphant entry as he enters into the city of Jerusalem. In the prophetic book of Zechariah, um, specifically in chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, we read the prophecy of this parade, an event that the Israelites, God's chosen people, would look forward to for years to come. And some, by the time that the day arrived, possibly have forgotten this prophecy, but some are looking and they go, oh, this is a moment that we've heard about for years and years and the story that has been passed on for years and years and years. And, and this is what 
the book of Zechariah, Zechariah the prophet foretells in 9 verses 9 through 11. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be, will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now this sounds like quite the celebration they're looking forward to, right? Welcoming the long-awaited Messiah as king. Now let's fast forward to the actual event when it actually takes place. Today we're going to look at if this parade was truly a triumphant entry. Was it a celebration for Jesus? Taking a kind of different perspective and thinking about how Jesus felt, how he was in the moment. Did he enjoy the pomp and circumstance of the hosannas and the palm branches and the parading as he entered into the city? And I think Interestingly enough, the answer is yes and no. It's both and. A little bit different than what I was raised on Palm Sunday hearing on a Sunday morning. I was always a yes, a celebratory service, welcoming Jesus as king. Today is a little bit different because we'll see that it wasn't all that maybe it was cracked up to be in the heart of Jesus as he entered into the city. So today we're going to dive into that, and we're going to glean from today's passage applications that we can take into our week, this Holy Week, as we remember and reflect on who Jesus is, was, and what he has done for us as we approach Good Friday and then the celebration a week from today. So I would invite you to open, if you haven't yet already, to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be begin reading at verse 29. As he, as Jesus approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, which is a sign of royalty. They would find an animal that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the people keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. We're going to pause there and, and take a look at what's happened in this procession. This procession has a lot of earmarkings of the parades of today. We have animals, 
We have, a, we have a donkey at least. We have people shouting and celebrating. They're waving at the person parading through the town with these palm branches. They're clearing the streets and making a way for the royal float. And then, of course, the appearance of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. All very exciting and worthy of celebrating. After all, the Messiah has indeed come. Was this a triumphant entry for the people? Absolutely, yes, indeed. The people believed it was a victory. They had seen and witnessed all of the amazing things that Jesus had done, and now prophecy was being fulfilled, the stories that they had heard, and they're getting caught up in the crowd, and it's an exciting time. And they acknowledged that Jesus was a long-awaited king that could come to save his people. In Mark 11 and, and John 12, it is said that they believed in him, and they cried out, Hosanna, asking Jesus to save them. And they believed that he had come to do just that, and he had. They believed that the coming kingdom of David had arrived, and they welcomed him as he entered into the city as royalty. It was a triumphant entry. For Jesus, it was a triumphant entry because prophecy was fulfilled. You see, Jesus' ministry on earth, the past three years, have led him to this very moment. The day had come where the prophecy foretold by Zechariah was being fulfilled. The Messiah, he was here, and he would save his people. And that the people wouldn't shout it out. The very creation that he spoke into being, with his very breath, with his voice, the beginning of time, would cry out and declare the truth that Messiah had come, and that he was king. The purpose in which Jesus had come to this earth, had left his heavenly home for, was coming to its end. It was nearing its completion, and the mission was soon to be accomplished. This was a triumphant entry. It's interesting. One would think that after a parade, the person of honor would, would at the very least, you know, be, wow, just just honored and just feel so, so blessed by the experience and maybe humbled by the experience. Maybe, maybe they're exhausted and just overwhelmed and tired. They go, wow, that was a lot of people, a lot of shouting. I need a nap. You know, at the worst, that, right? And it's interesting. Jesus' response here would be different. Was this a triumphant entry for Jesus? Yes, it was. And no, it wasn't. It was both and. So let's pick back up in verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. The parade's still continuing. This is not the next day. This is as he's entering into the city. There's this moment where he approaches Jerusalem and he looks at it and he weeps over it and said, If you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Was this a triumphant entry for Jesus? Did he feel like celebrating? No, not really. Jesus wept. 
And this kind of boggled my mind because like you hear Jesus wept and you think about Lazarus and, and, and you hear this and, and I hear Jesus wept and, and it stood out to me. I thought, well, maybe it's because, you know, when you get real excited and you're just overwhelmed with joy, you get those tears of joy. No. He weeps over Jerusalem and he had people around him. It wasn't that he withdrew and he wept. He had witnesses. The same people parading with him, his disciples were there and saw him weeping. He, what Hebrew says, the word for wept is kliod or klio. So he klios in front of the people. And this is not the good kind of tears. These are not happy tears that come from being overwhelmed with joy. These are the literal tears of mourning as if he was grieving a death. This is painful crying. This is the ugly kind of cry that you don't want anybody to see you in. He is lamenting over the people in Jerusalem. Now just think, you're here and you put on this parade for Jesus, the King of Kings, and he's Messiah, and he openly starts grieving and weeping and wailing <laughs> in a sense. And, and, and you're maybe you're confused, like you might be right now. Why is he doing this? And, 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 and you might be kind of upset, kind of angry with him. Like, why is he crying? We just threw him this parade. We put our coats on the ground. We're waving these branches. We're proclaiming the truth of who he is. Prophecy is fulfilled. And here he is mourning. He's clioing. He mourns. Why does he weep like this? Why does he grieve as he looks out over the city? I think it's because, well, at the same time, it is the triumphant entry and the fulfillment of prophecy, and one step closer to him accomplishing his ultimate purpose in leaving his heavenly home and to die on the cross and to raise again. He, he is painfully aware of three truths at this moment as he enters into Jerusalem. Jesus wept because he knew the future. He knew the future. He knew that the future for the city of Jerusalem was not what the people were envisioning in this very moment or hoping for or expecting in this moment. He knew they were placing their hope in government and rule and ultimately the power of human strength to right the wrongs that had been dealt to them. He knew that they thought that he was just going to free them from the oppressive rule of the Roman government. And he tells them in this moment that if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it's hidden from your eyes. You see, ultimate peace doesn't come from governmental rule, but from Jesus himself, our Prince of Peace. And they missed it in this moment. Jesus knew that, that death and destruction of the city would, and the people would, become, would happen and take place after his death. At, in 70 AD, ultimately, the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. And he knew that they would be gravely disappointed if in this moment they knew that he didn't come to do what they were expecting him to do. And that total destruction of their beloved city was to come. Because, see, he hadn't come as their government dictator who would overthrow the Roman rule and bring peace in the way they were thinking of peace. He actually came to do so much more than that. He was so much more than that. He was royalty. 
He was the king of all. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of all. But he didn't come to rule in their current government. He came to rule in their hearts. To redeem and to save the lost. To save them from, our, from themselves and from ourselves and the sin that entangles our very soul. Like the Israelites, we too can put too much hope or trust or faith in government and in people in positions of power. We can put our focus and attention in prayer time seeking God and asking him to right the wrongs and to intervene and step in the world in a powerful way and pray for everything that's going on out, out there and for his strong hand of justice to come and right everything that has been wronged. We, we direct our attention and become obsessed with how wrong our world is and how we need someone in power to just step in and fix it. Not all of that is wrong. We should be seekers of justice. We should feel that. That's a part of God's heart that's in us. But we have to be careful because in the process of caring about these things, we can become too focused there and not focus on who Jesus is. And we stop looking inward at ourselves and our own hearts and our own lives. And we have the tendency to become distracted and become bitter about the world around us, the people around us whom God created in his image, where God is still moving. He is still present. He is still active in doing things. And we start to miss what God is doing and wants to do in our lives. And I think Jesus wanted them and wants us to not miss a piece that he offers and brings us when we seek him as our Prince of Peace in the midst of the chaos that this world has. Because sin is here. The enemy is working too. But Jesus can bring us peace in the midst of the chaos. And he desires to use us as his agents of peace in Jesus' name in our world today. Peace begins with what happens in our hearts and bringing that to other people. He did come to save us, absolutely, but not exactly in the way that they were expecting in the moment. He will right the wrongs. That's a promise. He will return and reign. And the enemy has ultimately lost the battle. Jesus is victorious. We don't have to worry because he is victorious. We just have to seek him as our Prince of Peace. Jesus wept in that moment, I think, because he knew the future and he knew their hearts. He knew that the same people who welcomed him in this very moment as Messiah and King would just a few days later call for his painful execution. The lurking betrayal Hatred and call for the torture and excruciating painful death upon the cross was not far off. He knew what was coming. The day was soon coming where the people who he came to save would yell out curses where they once called out for him to save them. And yet, eventually, even with that, he would cry out to his heavenly father on the cross in the ultimate act of love and sacrifice, forgive them. To his heavenly father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. It begs us to ask the question, are we like the Israelites sometimes today? Are we like God's chosen people back then that cried out praises and then got caught up in the crowd and called for his execution? 
Do we only worship and welcome Jesus when we are comfortable and excited about what he is doing in our lives? When it's convenient when we're here on Sunday mornings, when it's Easter and we celebrate the resurrection? Or do we clam up when things don't go our way? Are we easily swayed and influenced by others? And so with the same mouth we praise God, we end up cursing him or being quiet for fear of what others might say about our faith? Do we stop praising him when we're around certain people? I think it's easy for us to welcome and praise Jesus in moments where it's convenient and easy, just like the Israelites did, when they think, hey, things are going, going my way. Things are turning around. Things are going good. Yay, praise Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a great day. But do we do the same thing when the going gets tough? Do we get caught up in the crowd and influenced by others? You see, God knew their hearts. He knew what was coming. I think he he wants us to look at our heart and evaluate. Do we only give him praise and adulations because it's convenient or it just makes sense? Or are they really an outflow of our heart, of what we truly feel when we think about who God is? Because he grieves when we live a double life, when we're too ashamed or we're too afraid and we step back or we change what we do. He desires for us to wholeheartedly Um, serve him and unashamedly welcome him as as our king into our lives privately, publicly, in good times, and in bad times. He desires for us to be completely devoted followers of Jesus Christ because that was the purpose in which we were created, to be in relationship with our creator. There is nothing greater, nothing we can search for in this world will fulfill that void, fulfill our purpose like he can. And we need to worship him and not be ashamed of who he is in all times. Jesus wept because he knew the future. He knew their hearts and he knew they missed the point. He had a gift to give and and they were missing it. I love to give gifts, receive gifts. Pastor John, a few weeks ago, we talked about relationships in the home. We talked about love languages. And and my love language is in big part gift giving. And, And so... I like to give gifts, and, and as part of that, I love to surprise people. You know, I like to do things behind the scenes, especially for people I love, like my husband, Pastor John. Except uh, when you try and plan surprises for people that don't surprise well, it falls, you fall flat on your face. So he, just so you know, for now, just keep record, Pastor John, PJ, does not surprise well. Don't plan any surprise for him, ever. I'm okay with it. He is not. He does not surprise well. So the way you have to do it, you have to have ease into it, kind of let him know what you're thinking, and then it kind of grows in his mind. Then he gets excited. But one time I planned the surprise party for him for his birthday, and, and you know, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of prep work with a surprise party. You call people. You have to try and get away and have these discreet conversations or texts, and, and you plan the place and the time, and then you let people know, okay, we're leaving now, and then we're getting close, and okay, and then the big moment comes, right? And you're getting all giddy and excited, or at least I do, and, and you're thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be great. Well, 
It's not exactly how it happened. So we had a group of friends coming, and I'm saying, hey, we're on our way. We're headed to the beach, and we're going to go have lunch and have the surprise, and all the friends are going to be there. So we're walking down the sidewalk, and I'm going, man, they've been there for a few minutes. We're running behind, and we meet up this group of friends. And I go and say, hey, PJ, happy birthday, PJ, hey. And he's like, oh, wow, well, you guys decided to come to the beach today too, huh? How what a coincidence. This is kind of nice. Yeah, what are you guys doing here? You just kind of like bum around? Oh, yeah, well, we're here. And so we go upstairs to the restaurant. We sit down halfway through our meal, everyone together. He leans over to me and goes, um, this was planned? Like, like, did they plan on doing this today? Like, for my birthday, like this was a thing. This, oh, this was a surprise. Yeah. Oh, I'm so confused. What's going on? I mean, it was horrible. I just fell flat on my face. I'm never planning another surprise party for my husband ever, ever again. See, Jesus, he had been working towards this moment. Now, it wasn't a surprise party, but he had been working towards this moment. He'd been teaching. He'd been healing, he'd been prophesying, he'd been living with and walking among his people. And they were missing the gift. They didn't get it. The gift was God's only son. The savior of their very souls, a way to be connected to God the Father and the way to eternal life was there walking among them, was present with them, and yet at this moment they missed it. They missed the point of Jesus. Instead, they were just concerned with overthrowing the Roman government and ending the oppression they were under. The palm branches that they weighed were actually a symbol of their desire for political freedom. That's why they chose the palm branches. They expected Jesus to be that, and after all, isn't that what the prophecy was about? And Jesus weeps. The people and disciples of Jesus, they missed the distinct, distinct kind of victory and peace which only the Messiah alone could bring. Jesus would bring peace with God through death on the cross, the forgiveness of sins and life eternal with him to save a wretch like us. Jesus, fully God and fully man, left his heavenly home for us to make a way to be in right standing with God through his very real death and resurrection, to make possible the restoration of a relationship that he so desperately longed to have with his creation. See, the desired political outcome and expectation would have been good, right? It was worthy of celebrating. That would have been good. But what Jesus had been and continued to offer them was, was far greater far exceeded their desires and they just missed it they didn't understand it and he knew in this moment after all the blood sweat and tears of ministry thus far the greatest point and purpose of his coming was a very something they were missing and he desperately longed for them to get it jesus was the prince of peace the son of god and he could bring them peace for their souls how did they miss it perhaps they were too distracted to get why jesus had come Perhaps they were too selfish. We can be this way too. We can get so busy and distracted that we miss God. We don't see him or we ignore him because we're too busy. We keep pushing him off to the side and we say, well, we don't hear the voice of God. We don't see him moving, but maybe we're too busy 
to hear him. We're not still. We don't be still and know that he is God. We can be selfish, and instead of listening to God, we demand or expect that he does things our way because we think that we know what is best for us. And during the busyness of life, I I get it. I've had a busy week. It is easy to get distracted, to miss Jesus, to miss the point of Jesus. But Jesus, he wants us to stop this holy week, I think. He wants us to focus and recenter our lives and fix our eyes upon him. To be intentional with our relationship, our koinonia with him. So we don't miss the gift that he offers. We don't miss this, miss out on what God offers us. And what does he offer? He offers grace, mercy, forgiveness, a cleansing of our lives, a new life with him, transformation of our very souls. He wants to remind you this morning that you are loved, that you are worthy, that you are valuable, and that you were created for a purpose. Don't miss the point of Jesus. Don't get too busy or get too caught up in your thinking to think that what you think is what you need is what you need because God knows what you need. He knows every need, and he will provide for those needs, and he will remind you of who he is if you're just to stop and focus on him. Was the parade into Jerusalem a triumphant entry for Jesus? It it was, and it wasn't. Yes, because it was prophecy fulfilled, and he was entering into his final days of ministry on earth. He was about to accomplish his mission, as painful as what it was going to be. And no, Jesus wept. He, He ugly cried, and he did this because he knew the future that lay ahead. For Jerusalem. He wanted them. He wanted his people. And he wants us to be reminded to seek him, not others or power, to be our Prince of Peace. He also wept because he knew their hearts. The ones who shouted out in celebration would soon turn on him. And he knows your heart. He knows my heart too. And his desire for us is that we worship him with our lives when things are good, bad, comfortable, and uncomfortable. And he wept because he knew what he came for, what he offered to them. What he offers you and us today is greater than any of our selfish desires or needs. And he desires for us to be intentional in our worship and devotion to him. What he offers us today is the opportunity to be in right standing before the Lord. To take what happened in the garden with sin that's been carried on for generations and to be be completely cleansed of that because he bridged the gap to God the Father. He wants to fix what is broken. He wants to fix the sin that's in your life and give you a fresh start, a new life. He offers forgiveness for all of our sins. He wants to give us a new life and a new beginning through faith in him. For God so loved you and the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever just believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that's what easter is about that's what the gospel is about that's why jesus came don't miss jesus this week don't miss jesus in your lives 
if that is a step that you haven't taken, or maybe you've fallen off track and you've lost focus of Jesus, it's not too late. Start off this week getting back on track with him. And all it takes is faith, saying, Jesus, I believe you're in the Son. You're the Son of God. God, I am a broken sinner. Come and save a wretch like me. Forgive me of my sin, everything that I've ever done, and cleanse me of it. Give me a fresh start, God. I want to live for you and place you on the throne of my life. I want to live for you. I want to serve you, God, because I believe that you are my purpose, that you created me to be in relationship with you. God, give me a new heart and a new life. From this day on, God, help me to keep choosing you and to not miss you in the everyday moments of life. God, I believe that there are people here this morning that need to pray that prayer. Maybe they've lost sight of you. And God, as we enter into this holy week, this week, as we work our way towards Friday and reflect upon the cross and your death, God, you, you did that for us. The Son of God died on a cross and hung there for us. When I think about my life, God, I think about all the things I've done, the things that I slip up and still do from time to time, and I go, God, I am not worthy. But you look at us and you say, we're worth it. And you would do it again for us. God, you are so good. Thank you for leaving your heavenly home and to come here and to show us the way to you, to show us the way that we should live as followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you endured. God, may our praises that we give to you be a true overflow of our heart. Help us to praise you when things are good, bad, scary. Maybe we feel tempted to be quiet when we should shout you your good news out. Whatever you want us to do, God, help us to truly worship you in all times and in all seasons. Help us to put our faith in you as our Prince of Peace. Help us to realize that, that we can have peace, that you offer us peace in the midst of the chaos in our world that goes around. And help us to be your agents of peace, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are struggling, those that are hurting, those that are broken, that are experiencing the effects of um, sin that's in our world. God, help us to be a reflection of you. And God, I just pray that we wouldn't miss the point of you, that we wouldn't miss you, Jesus. That we would take time this week to stop and to reflect on who you are and what you offer us today. That we wouldn't let this week just fly by with trips to the Easter Bunny and egg hunts and meal preparations and work and doctor's appointments and everything else that we could have in between and, and miss you. Help us to truly meditate on your word, to delight in your word and to delight in the message that you have for us, the message of hope and forgiveness, mercy and grace and hope eternal with a life spent with you for all who believe and choose to place their faith and trust in you, Jesus. We thank you for your promises that are so good for us. We thank you that you loved us so much to do all of this for us. We worship you. We honor you. Be with us as we go throughout this week, this week. In 
into all the places and the corners of our individual worlds. God, help us to shine bright for you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Just want to thank you for coming this morning and just want to remind you of um, our time of tithes and offerings. It is truly a continuation of our worship here as we exit. Um, you do have the opportunity to give in the plates as you leave and online and Facebook and several other ways um, we would love to share with you. But please um, just give with a cheerful heart. We believe that God will bless and multiply what's given today for the glory of his kingdom and what he wants to do here through Oak Ridge Wesleyan Church. We want to invite you back. We want to invite you back Wednesday. We have Bible study. We have uh, our youth group going on Wednesday. We have group in the back. We want to invite you back Friday for Good Friday for our communion service. And then, of course, a week from today with our Easter celebration service. Happy Resurrection. It's going to be a fantastic morning next week. Thank you so much for coming. Invite a friend. We'll see you next week. God bless you.